Welcome to Valley Christian Church. We hope you enjoy this message, and we would love for you to join us on Sunday mornings at 1030. We're located at 432 East Pleasant in Tulare. After listening to this message, take a moment to browse our website for current and upcoming events. It is our prayer that ultimately you learn to love the Lord with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. We've really gotten to know uh, the Apostle Paul. He is quite a guy. You would think that he's always been this way. You know, we, we read Paul and we read the different books and the different letters that he wrote and we just think, man, he's such a... How did he become this way? But as we study this book, we've come to understand he has not always been this great guy that we think he is. The Bible cont- you know, really contains several long um, biographies, and this is very helpful to us uh, because we see the Lord takes a person at one stage and transforms them into his image, transforms them into something that he would like to see and turns them into something else. I mean, this is uh, true of the Apostle Paul in Acts 28. You know, it's just like another day of surfing for Paul. You know, he has a shipwreck, swims ashore, gets bit by a poisonous snake, and, you know, this is your standard, you know, serving the Lord kind of day, right? Well, Paul's a little different in in this aspect. Uh, Not all of us go through this much. But one thing I find, you know, just fascinating studying through this book is the Lord is, you know, just as much concerned about the journey as he is the destination. Think about that for a second. The journey that Paul goes on, the Lord is just concerned about that as the destination that he has for Paul, which he's already told Paul, which is Rome. And this is the way it is for our lives. You know, we're into the destination, right? Well, where are you going to go for Thanksgiving? You say, well, well, I'm going to go to the airport. No, you say, well, I'm going to Houston, or I'm going to, you know, L.A., or I'm going to, you, you talk about the destination. You don't talk about the journey, do you? This is how it is, you know, the Lord's concerned about that destination. Yet as we live, we start to realize that it's just, a mu- just as much about the journey as it is about the destination. And the Apostle Paul has been on four journeys that are both, you know, that, that have all been similar and very different. And we can all relate to Paul's journeys, you know, in his life because we can remember our own journeys. You start telling stories about different trips you've taken and all these little memories start flooding your mind. Lots of different seasons, lots of different journeys. And no matter what season the Lord has you in, the Lord is with you. Now, he may allow some storms to come along. He may allow some things that you, you're sitting there going, and everybody doesn't go through this, right? No, everybody goes through those periods of time. It's tough. But man, it's good to be a Christian during those times, isn't it? Especially if you rely on the Lord. If you try to do it by your own power, it, it, you know, you're sitting there going, life is terrible. But if you, if you rely on the Lord, life seems to, to take a whole new meaning. In, the, in his fourth missionary journey, he starts to act like the saint, you know, the saint Paul, the apostle that we've all come to know. That's when he starts acting like this. But it takes a while to get there. Some of us are like, wow, <laughs> I don't think I'll ever get there. He's a saint and I'm a sinner. There's no way that I'm ever going to get to that point in my own life. That's how we kind of think of it. And this is good for us to, to see Paul and, and, and the other disciples. To see, a, you know, a man like David, 
To see the, you know, how, how the Lord takes uh, men and women on His journey and transforms them into His image. And how when they start to abide, when they start to turn their lives over to Christ, when they start to say, there are certain principles I need to live my life by, whether I want to or not sometimes, you start to see how they, their image, how, how their personhood, who they are, starts to turn into the image of Christ. You know, the Lord doesn't look for perfect people. If the, look, sorry, if the Lord looked for perfect people, none of us would make it, right? I know I wouldn't. What He looks for is what others cannot see in us. We're like old discarded wood, painted over, stained too much, got all these nicks and people just throw it in the dump and then the master carpenter comes along and and looks at the scrap heap and he goes in and he he goes, you know, I know a perfect place for this piece of wood. And he takes it and he works with it and, and, and next thing you know, a masterpiece, a beautiful work has come out. It's like a work of art. See, the Lord recycles. And we would say, well, uh, we would say to Paul, of course he does. You know, well, you know, well what scripture would that be? Well, well, Paul, let me tell you Romans. We know that all things work together for good according to those who are called, according to those who love the Lord. And Paul would say, well, I know, that's my journal you're reading. I wrote that. See, the Apostle Paul wrote the book of, our, uh, the book of Romans, and, and it wasn't out of a cush life. It wasn't out of an easy life. If so, we could say, man, he doesn't know what he's talking about. See, when Paul writes to the Philippians, you know, I've learned the secret of being content in each and every situation. I can do all things through Christ who gives me strength. See, if Paul hadn't been through the things that, that he's been through, we would, you know, throw his books away and say, he doesn't understand. He doesn't understand how, how my family's reacted to my belief in Jesus Christ. He doesn't understand what, it, what it's like to be knocked down. He doesn't understand what it's like to, to, you know, to have a life that feels like it's shipwrecked. He doesn't know what it's like to have people assault you for your beliefs. But Paul's life is so dramatic that even, say, even some say that Luke made it all up. They say Paul never even lived. There never could be a guy like Paul. And this is what I love about the scriptures. There's enough dating information in there to check out uh, what, you know, Paul's life with history. And come to find out, he did live. He did persecute Christians. And he did become a Christian himself. He did travel the world and write these scriptures. What an amazing life this man has lived. And it's not over yet. So let's pick it up in Acts 28. He just survived the breaking up of the ship, right? He's made it to shore along with, you know, 275 other people. And, and Paul gets up and kind of takes a leadership role. And, and, you know, he's adding wood to the fire. And all of a sudden this, this you know, snake you know, reaches out and, and grabs a hold of him, a poisonous snake. We've been talking about this the last couple of weeks. And the islanders, you know, they watch Paul as he gets bit by the snake. And they see the blood as he rips it off his hand and throws the snake into the fire. And they say, he must be a murderer. So they watch. You see, they don't have TV 24-7. They're like, honey, go go grab the kids. This is going to be interesting. See what happens to this guy. But as nothing happens, they start to change their mind. Well, he must be a god. And as a wiser man now, Paul has become, 
He's become this man who doesn't argue over every little thing. He doesn't even fight with them. And this is where we pick it up in Acts 20, 28, verse 7. There was an estate nearby that belonged to Publius, the chief official of the island. He welcomed us to his home and for three days entertained us hospitably. At first, you would think he took in all 276 people. But he probably didn't take them all in. He probably took Julius, the commander, and Julius had this, you know, he, he really appreciated who Paul was, so, so Paul went along with him, and, you know, maybe a few people here. You know, Publius is, is not only getting the effects of being around a believer, he also has another motive to it. It says here, his father was sick in bed, suffering from fever and dysteria. So it's like, hey, you guys, I've been watching it. You've been around for a few days. I saw what happened on the beach. I was just out there staring just like everybody else was. You know, I love my father. Could you maybe come and, and help him? Could you come and, and pray for him? We prayed to all of our gods. It hasn't worked. Now, could you pray for you, for, for, you know, to yours? Could, could you possibly help here? You know, this kind of tells me of the situations we find our, ourselves in. Over the course of three days, Paul was floating in onto a beach. And now, he's in the home of the leading citizen on the island. Now, how did that happen? I don't know. You tell me how, you know, how everything happened in your life. You see, the Lord, when, when we start to call Him Lord, one of the most exciting things that He does, He takes our lives and He starts to direct them and He puts us in certain situations that we would have never put ourselves in. Paul never had an idea that, oh, hey, you know, one day I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to be in a shipwreck and I'm going to you know, take over you know, all the prisoners and, and I'm going to get bit by a snake and, and then the, the guy on the island that's in charge of the whole island, he's going to invite me to his house. We'd be like, you're crazy, Paul. What are you talking about? Yet it still happens. See, the Lord takes over our schedules. The Lord takes care, you know, over our iPhones and our Blackberries for your younger crowd, for the wall calendar, for the older crowd. The Lord takes it over. He even takes over how much gas we have left in our gas tank sometimes. He takes over our thoughts and starts putting somebody in our, our, our mind that, you know, over and over and over, and the Lord's sitting there going, you need to talk to him. You need to go see him. You need to call him. You need to, you know, you need to get in touch with him. And we can either choose to ignore it or choose to listen to it. And the more as, as we become more sensitive to the Holy Spirit, we start to understand His promptings. Sometimes it makes our days really long, right? When we start to listen to the Lord, man, at the end of the day, we can be really tired. But man, what a day it is when we truly follow the, do- the Lord all day long. So here Paul is. He's being taken care of in this house. And, and Luke is with him. And, you know, Aristarchus is with him. Not only do you have the spiritual guy around, you also have the doctor there. And it says here, it says, Paul went in to see him. And after prayer, placed his hands on him and healed him. When this happened, the rest of the sick on the island came and were cured. So this is very interesting now because the man invited Paul into his home and gave him some hospitality here. Now the entire island is trampling on his lawn. They're taking out his bushes. If there's any fruit on the trees, guess what? That fruit is gone because they're all sitting around. They're hungry. They're eating that stuff. And we see this guy's home being invaded, but not only invaded by people, but by, by the healing of the Holy Spirit. Everyone is, is looking for healing, gets it at this point. 
But they're also receiving Jesus Christ. They're also seeing who Jesus is through Paul, and he's able to talk with them. You know, as Americans, we kind of need to see this. Because we live in a land of personal privacy, don't we? I mean, the house that I live in, and I'm on a, you know, kind of a cul-de-sac, and, and, you know, I got this brick wall. I mean, it's a seven-foot brick wall behind me. I love that brick wall. You don't have neighbors staring in at you and stuff. I mean, it's just nice. We like our privacy. But when Jesus comes into our lives and our homes, all of a sudden, he might invade your life and home to a point with people who need him. And your answer at that point is, yes, Lord. Sometimes it feels like an inconvenience when God gets involved, doesn't it? Hmm. But man, what a blessing it is. Paul is not even preaching here. He's just serving. It says in verse 10, They honored us in many ways, and when we were ready to sell, they furnished us with supplies, uh, with the supplies we needed. Wow. I mean, 276 people. They've been shipwrecked. They have no supplies. This island totally just gives them, you know, all the stuff. In fact, the, the citizens of Malta would look back and they would tell you if you ever went there. They would say Christianity came to this island 1,952 years ago. Because we know what date Paul was there. They would trace it back to them. They could even go back and tell you the names of the first Christians on the islands. Man, I mean, I want to go visit here. It would be so much fun to go visit this island and, and talk with the Christians that are on there that can trace their heritage back. That would be so awesome. Well, verse 11, we're going to pick it up, and I, I grabbed a map. We've used part of this before, and I blew it up for you. But you see Malta there on, your, on the left-hand side, and we're going to follow that journey as we read here. It says, After three months we put out to sea in a ship that had wintered in the island. It was the, an Alexandrian ship with the figurehead of the twin gods Castor and Pollux. Now Luke tells us this because those reading this book at the time, those reading this letter at the time, might have even seen this ship in some port. And they're sitting there going, oh yeah, I remember it had two heads on it. It had, they represented the, you know, their, their little gods and stuff. I remember that ship. So it says here, we put in at Syracuse. So you, you see the traveling there. We put in at Syracuse and stayed there three days. From there we set sail and arrived at Regium. So what they're doing is they're headed toward the Bay of Naples, and, and they would, uh, you know, even seen the Mount Vesuvius right there. And, you know, it's, it's a mountain that's still going off today, but it's the, the mountain that literally 19 years later uh, from this covers uh, Pompeii. It's a huge volcano. And it says the next day the south wind came up, and they were following. Uh, following day we reached uh, uh, Patoli. There we found some brothers, some other Christians, who invited us to spend a week with them. And so we came to Rome. The brothers there had heard that we were coming. Very quickly, the word is spreading out, you know, amongst the Christians. And, and, and Paul is coming, and the word's just being passed up that Roman road, and, and the road systems were awesome. They're like our modern-day freeways, in a sense, for back then. Especially as you get closer to Rome, the, the roads would be better, and there'd be runners and, and people to take messages. So the Christians are sending messages out. Paul is coming. Paul is coming. Many of these people have never met Paul, but they know about him and who he is. This is like the Route 66 of their day. It says, And they traveled as far as Forum of Apius. And this is 43 miles from Rome. 
and the three taverns, which is 33 miles, to meet us. So about every 10 miles outside of Rome, you would, you would have a stop. It's kind of like our, you know, our rest stops on the road, you know, where they have all the restaurants and stuff like that. Kind of, same kind of concept. There would you know, be an inn there, a place to, to be able to get food, because you could only travel, most people would only travel about 10 miles per day. Now, if you were really hustling, you could make 20 or 30, but really most, most people on foot would travel about 10 miles per day. You didn't travel at night. I mean, think about it. It's very dangerous. No streetlights, no highway patrol, no one to call on. So you, you know, sleep in at night. So that's where the inns come in. Now, also, you remember that Paul was traveling with, with Julius, who answered directly to Caesar. Remember, I was talking about the Roman and imperial regiment here. And he answered directly to Caesar. And you almost get the feeling that, that Julius is, is dragging his feet. You almost get the feeling that, that Julius is sitting there going, man, I, I just I like this guy so much. I know what's going to happen to him once we get to Rome. And, man, I hate that three days here, seven days there, no problem. I'm convinced that Julius is in heaven. There's no other way a Roman imperial, imperial guard would ever allow this to happen. Oh, yeah, let's just stop for three days. Or let's just stay here for seven days. There's no way that that would happen unless he was a believer. Now, it's not in the Scripture, but I just have this feeling that, they, I mean, we see the, the evidence of belief here. So they're 33 miles out of Rome into three taverns. And it says here, at the sight of these men, Paul thanked God and was encouraged. Now, this is Luke's way of telling us how Paul felt. Think about this for a second. As he's getting closer to Rome, he thanked God and he was encouraged. So this means that Paul was probably what? He was told to take hold and to take courage. We often think in two dimensions. And, you know, I, I think Paul really had a, a little bit of fear here. I think Paul had a little trepidation as he's getting closer. Now, again, this is St. Paul. We don't think of him like that. But, but, you know, knowing that, you know, he's going before Caesar. And Caesar is either going to say, you're alive or you're dead. One of the two. So here Paul, you know, he'd have this trepidation there. But this would also have, have been very different for the soldiers. On the ship, you know, they didn't realize that Paul was a famous guy, that Paul was a celebrity. He was just another prisoner who saved them. And as they approached Rome, a large caravan of people are now coming out and traveling, two or three days, coming out to meet Paul and say, man, Paul, it's, it's so, you know, I'm so glad to meet with you. Tell us about your journeys. Tell us about your stories. And the soldiers are like, are they trying to like save them? Are they trying to? No, these people are all nice. They're, they're not trying to, to, to you know, uh, they're not causing any trouble. They're just following along. They're not trying to free Paul. You know, many of these guys have read the letters that Paul wrote. We call it Bible. We call it Scripture. But these guys, they were just letters. For them, here's a guy that they looked up to. Somebody they could relate to. They wanted to be around him. This is a man who brought Christianity to most of the world. Not all of the world, because, you know, in Acts 2, we talked about how, how the Lord, the dispersion of the people. But here, Paul, man, he, he brought it to a lot of the world. This is a man who, who stood before the Sanhedrin and shared Jesus boldly. And for those who had not seen Jesus alive, which was most of these guys... This was the closest human being that they would get to seeing who Jesus was himself because he reflected who Christ was in his life. 
So you know, they, they packed the kids and they traveled out 43 miles on foot just to meet Paul on the road. And they would have turned around and they would have followed him all the way back into the city. They're so excited to meet Paul. But for Paul, you know his heart. In his heart, he was wondering what it was going to be like when he got to Rome. What is my life going to be like when I get to Rome? Verse 16, it says, When we got to Rome, Paul was allowing him, allowed him uh, to live by himself with a soldier to guard him. And this is a very unusual arrangement. This is not very standard. I almost get the sense that the soldiers fought over who was going to go with Paul. I mean, these guys, Paul was being taken care of by all these people. They rented a place for Paul for two years. All these people, all his friends, that, that he, most of them he'd never met. And they paid for his apartment for two years, and the Roman soldiers were going, man, this guy eats good, I want to go with him. But also, there was this, they liked Paul. He related to them. He shared with them. He shared Jesus with them. And many of them came to know Christ because of him. Man, he's a Christian and, you know, a little Christ. If they could just get close, maybe their life could, you know, maybe they, they could figure out the things in his life, that, in, in their own life that was going, you know, going awry, going, you know, just terrible. Maybe they can figure things out if they could just get close enough to Paul and, and learn what he's teaching. So we have to ask ourselves, do we allow people to get close to our lives? Do we live in a way that people want to get close to us? If we allow the Lord to really change us, to, then we go from a person who just goes to church, who just shows up to a person whose life is totally radically changed by Jesus. You know, we're not Christians because we grew up that way, that our family grew up that way. We're not Christians because our, our moms told us we were. We're not Christians because our, our spouse drags us to church. We're Christians because one day we accepted Jesus Christ into our hearts. This is how we became Christians. The Holy Spirit tugs on your heart and you have the choice to reject or accept it. There's no other way to heaven. There's no other way of, of being just good enough. There's no other belief system that the Lord will come down to this earth and die for your soul the way He did. And then we start the process of maturing once we make that decision where, where God totally wants to, to dominate our life, and it's a good thing. And we fight with him about it, don't we? I mean, my little boy, he's a, he's a curious little boy. He wants to get into everything. And we got a new TV stand because, you know, our old TV stand, he had to open it up so he could just get to everything. So now we got a stand that TV goes on top of. But there's one thing that he keeps trying to get to is electrical cords. I think I'm going to have to take away the bass speaker. I mean, it has to set beside, and he's always going to, and I'm like, Brandon, no. And he'll look over at me, and then he'll keep doing it, you know? And I have to go to him, I have to grab him and say, Brandon, no, and, and, and what does he do? He kind of looks at me with this, and just starts crying, like the world's going to come to an end. God does the same thing. He goes, Alan, no. And I look at him. Oh, I want to. Alan, no. And he comes over and he removes me from that situation. What do I do? Wah! I start crying about it. Don't we? Okay, I know. It's just me. I know. I'm just a big crybaby. I can't help that. The Lord says, it is not good for you 
There'll be a, a time in your life after you have matured in the Lord, after you've truly given yourself over to God, that people will want to, to come and be a part of your life. And this is the goal that we have, that our lives reflect what we say we believe. There's not a one of us in this room who would say, I'm as good as a Christian as Paul is. This is the Apostle Paul in Acts chapter 28. Man, I, I'm just right up there next to him. Not one of us would say that. But I bet you every one of us could say, I'm a better Christian than Paul was at age 25. Because at age 25, what was Paul doing? He was killing Christians. See, it wasn't an overnight, boom, Paul transformed. It was a lifetime of transforming into who Christ is, reflecting that in our lives. Now, not that we should be comparing all the time, but we love to compare the negative, right? Well, I didn't kill Christians. Or King David, I didn't commit adultery and, and have somebody murdered, so, I mean, therefore, I, I must be a little better. So if we compare in the negative that makes us feel better, it's only fair that we compare in the positive too, right? The other side of it. See, Paul would rightly say, old things have passed away. All things have become new. He would say, forgetting what is the past, I press on toward the goal which is my calling. He wrote these things late in life to the people he loved very much. We have the privilege to own these writings. And many of us own these writings and, you know, we have 8 or 10 or 12 or 15 or 20 copies in our house. It should be our greatest treasure next to our wives, next to our husbands, next to our children, next to our parents, you know, and the rest of our family. This ought to be the greatest treasure of the Word of God. This is where we find truth and the meaning of life. Verse 17, it goes on, it says, Three days later, Three days later, he called together the leader of the Jews. And I think it's ironic. Paul's still trying to reach the Jews. I mean, this is good. He loves his people. He loves his heritage. Even if the book of Acts is really not kind to the Jews. You read the book of Acts and you're sitting there going, man, they didn't act very nice. But Paul loved his people. He never stops trying to reach those that he loves. It says here, when they had, had assembled, Paul said to them, My brothers... Although I've done nothing against our people or against the customs of our ancestors, I was arrested in Jerusalem and handed over to the Romans. They've examined me and wanted to release me because I was not guilty of any crime deserving death. But when Paul, or, but when the Jews objected, I was compelled to appeal to Caesar, not that I had any charge to bring against my own people. For this I have asked to see you, and talk with you. It is because the hope of Israel that I am bound with this chain. And he would have picked up his arm and said, this chain that I'm strapped to. See this guard here? The chain. They replied, we have not received any letters from Judea concerning you. And none of the brothers who have come from there has reported or said anything bad about you. But we want to hear what your views are. For we know that people everywhere are talking against this sect. And this sect is who? the believers in Jesus Christ, the Jews that are converted to Christianity. They're saying, hey, we wanted to meet with you. You are an incredible man. Everything we've heard about you is amazing, except we know that what you believe people are preaching against. They just want to figure out this whole Messiah thing because the Messiah that Paul was teaching was not the Messiah that they were looking for. 
And yet, we respect you, Paul. How Paul was dealing with his situation caused them to respect him. And they're sitting there going, so we want to listen, Paul. And he goes on in verse 23. They arranged to meet Paul on a certain day and came in, came in even larger numbers to the place where he was staying. I'm sure the neighbors were complaining. Man, they're parking in the driveway. Can you get the horses out of the way? Can you get the donkeys out? From morning till evening, he explained and declared the, uh, to them the kingdom of God and tried to convince them about Jesus from the law of Moses and the prophets. And some of you think I preach a long time on Sunday mornings. This was morning till evening. Look at this. Some were convinced by what he said, but others would not believe. They disagreed among themselves and began to leave after Paul had made this final statement. The Holy Spirit spoke the truth to your forefathers when he said through Isaiah the prophet, Go to the people and say, You will be, my, you, you will be ever hearing but never understanding. You will be ever seeing but never perceiving. For the people's heart has become calloused. They hardly hear with the ears and they have closed their eyes. In other words, they might turn and see with their eyes and hear with the ears and understand with their hearts and turn and I would heal them. Therefore, I want you to know that God's salvation has been sent to the Gentiles and they will listen. So what did this do to the Jews? Well, it made them debate the scriptures. They're trying to figure it out. These are, these are people who are searching for God. They're not offended by this. They want to figure it out. Now, sometimes we do offend people, don't we? Sometimes it's not the message but the messenger, right? It's how we say it. But we think, you know, but, but we can't think that bringing up Jesus is offensive. Now, sometimes we need to rethink how we do it, right? But not the fact that we're going to actually bring it up. Our tone is very important. We should not be offensive in our tone. Paul tried to argue. Remember on Mars Hill? Remember when he's in Athens? Man, he argued so well. I mean, he, I mean, he prepared for that, but to no effect. Anybody here argumentative? You're arguing with yourself on whether you're going to raise your hand, right? Being argumentative can be sinful. Just like anything else we have in our life can be sinful. doesn't mean it automatically is. Just if we use it in the wrong way, it is. We've got to give that to the Lord. And what comes back might, be, you know, might totally surprise you. Because the Apostle Paul didn't hold back. He didn't go, well, I mean, Jesus took all the arguments out of me because you know, I became a Christian, so therefore I can't debate with you the Scriptures. No, we can debate that. He was also very blunt sometimes. But just by believing, as Christians, we are controversial. But just make sure it's the Jesus part that's controversial and not ourselves. If it is, you know, if it's Jesus that's the controversial part, then get going, man, because it, it can be fun to lead somebody to the Lord. But you know what? Sometimes all you're doing is planting a seed. Paul even spoke about this. You know, there was a controversy in the, tree, in, in the church, and they were like, well, who's the better speaker? Is it, is it Paul or is it Apollos? Paul didn't even answer that. He basically said, you guys, you're, you're turning this into a competition. You know, times haven't really changed. Well, what church do you go to? 
I had to laugh because last Sunday my wife and I, we went to Bravo Farms after, after church for lunch and we're sitting outside and there's this whole other table. It's like two or three families gathered up and, and they're having this conversation and, and, and you know, uh, about their pastor at the church. Luckily, it was a good conversation. But they're sitting there going, why does the pastor always ask people to raise their hands? And one guy's going, I raise my hand every time. I don't care what it is. He's talking to women, men, children. I just raise my hand. And, you know, they're all laughing about that. And we get toward the end of the meal. And, and like, I was kind of going in. I go, I don't know why pastors always do that. So we were kind of talking back and forth a little bit. And, and one of the ladies assumed that we went to their church. So after the meal, and, you know, all the kids, they're all kind of going away. It's just her left. And she comes over and she goes, well, you know, I think I've met your parents. I think I recognize you. You know, what service you guys go to? And I go, well, oh, no, I, you know, we actually go to another church. And she goes, oh. And walks away. What in the world? We've gotten to a point where Christians can't even talk to each other because we go to a different church? You've got to be joking. I just kind of looked at my life, my wife and I just shook my head. We, I mean, there was nothing more to say. We just, how sad. The Apostle Paul comes and said, one guy plants, one guy waters, and another guy harvests. Jesus talked about this, uh, this also. And he said, you know, some guys that are, that are harvesting weren't, weren't even involved in the planting or, or watering part. You work and you work and you work, and then somebody else comes along and they get the harvest. Their reaction is finally somebody is making sense here. And we're like, wait a second. This is what I've been saying the whole time. We are part of the process. We are part of the team. We are part of the body. We are not in charge of this. We are not the Holy Spirit drawing people. That's the Holy Spirit's job. We are not in charge. What are we in charge of? Jesus and the Apostle Paul said we're in charge of throwing the seed. We're in charge of planting well. And if our job's to water, we're in charge of watering well, not wasting it. We're also in charge of being ready for the harvest when the time comes. Now, we may not be in part of all three parts. We may only have two parts or one part. But we have to be ready. That's what the Apostle Paul taught his whole life. Verse 30, it says, For two whole years Paul stayed there in his own rented house and welcomed all who came to see him. Boldly and without hindrance, he preached the kingdom of God and taught against the Lord. No, not taught against. He used to do that. He taught about the Lord Jesus Christ. And this is the end of the book. And we say, that's it? I mean, what happens? Well, let's read that again. For two years, Paul stayed there in his own, his own rented house and welcomed all who came to see him. Boldly and without hindrance, he preached the kingdom of God and taught about the Lord Jesus Christ. Well, what were the results? We don't know why it ends like this. There's all sorts of theories on this. Chapters are written about this in commentaries. And I won't bore you with all of it. See, you thought I was, didn't you? I'm not going to bore you with all of it. We don't really know. We don't really know what happens to Paul after this. Now, I'm going to tell you some tradition, some things that, 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 that we think happened, some things that, that, that have been held to, to, to be true, but we have no proof of it. We kind of get a picture of, from the little things that he says, from, from the different books that he writes. See, the scholars think, and, and I don't put myself in those, their position, okay? 
But the scholars think that he actually made it to Spain, that he was actually acquitted by Caesar and released by Caesar, which would have been a great victory for the Christians. I mean, Caesar was like their supreme court. And for a few years, Christianity thrived in Rome until crazy Nero turned on the Christians after the burning of Rome, which was most likely Nero's fault and not the Christians' fault, but he blamed it on them. So during this time, we think Paul went to Spain. There he visited many churches that he, he, he planted, and you know, he also visited with Titus and Timothy and some of these other guys. Then we think in 67 AD, he was arrested by Nero and, or Nero's forces, along with Peter. The tradition is held that they were actually in the same house together when they were arrested. And during this time, you know, all these trials were happening. They were, they were crucifying Christians. They were feeding Christians to the lions. They were lighting them on fire. They were dipping them in, in boiling oil. I mean, this brutal, brutal stuff. Tradition says that the Apostle Paul and the Apostle Peter were tried, convicted, and killed on the same day. Peter would have been in the public square as a commoner. And it, tradition has said that you know, he would have been crucified like Christ on, you know, on what they, they call it Nero's Circus at the Vatican. And now it's not the same Vatican as what you're thinking, but this is what it was called. But Peter requested one thing. Crucify me upside down. I'm not worthy of being crucified like Christ. That's your tradition. A Roman writer named Seneca wrote that during this time, thousands of Christians went to their death. And Seneca was so affected that he talked not only about their deaths, but, but the looks on their faces and their songs that they sang together and their attitudes of sharing Christ in these terrible times to the point where the executioners were starting to become Christians. And guess what? Those executioners were put right in line behind the Christians to be killed too. The reason I think that this is not in the Bible, but it's part of public history, is that you wouldn't probably believe it if it was in the Bible. Well, we would, but, but, but the world, you know, wouldn't. Now, Paul, on the same day being a Roman citizen, his execution would have been more humane and very quick and civil, is what they would think. He was marched to the, the end of the, Austi- uh, the Austinian Way. He was out three miles out from the center of Rome at Tre Fontaine, in other words, the three fountains. And there was a holding cell that's actually been excavated along with those three fountains. And he would have been held overnight. And at the light of dawn, the executioner would have taken Paul out, would have strapped him literally to a tree, and literally cut off his head very quickly. That was humane, according to them. This is how the tradition is that he died. Now, what do you think was going through his head that night in the cell? Imagine a cellmate. Hey, Paul, how you doing, man? I'm doing okay. Probably had some fear. But this is also the Paul that wrote in, in 2 Timothy 4. For I'm already being poured out like a drink offering, and the time has come for my departure. I've fought the good fight. I've finished the race. I've kept the faith. Now there is in store for me a crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will award me on that day. And not only to me, 
but also to all those who have longed for his appearing. Paul would have been like, hey, buddy, do you long for the Lord's appearing? Yes, I do. Well, then carry on because I think, I, I think I'm near my end. I think this is the last for me. Say goodbye to my friends and read the letter that I wrote to them only about a year ago. Paul would tell us to carry on, that our chains are chains for Christ, to boldly speak about Christ, to never give up our hope on this earth, never give up, to always put our trust in the Creator. That's what Paul would have told us that night before he died. You know, I think this is a good ending for the, you know, our study in Paul in the book of Acts. What do you think? Paul, never giving up, always preaching to those that he loved. Hmm. Let's pray. Lord, I thank you for putting in the, into your scriptures these letters written by Paul and Luke and these other guys and just the story of Paul. That we can take his life and say, man, he, he was against you, then he met you, and then he was for you. And we can see our own lives and say at one point we were against you, Lord. And then we met you, and our lives started to change. We can be the Apostle Paul of today if we allow you into our life to change it. And I pray that as Christians we do allow that. As Christians we allow you into our home. And Christians we allow you into our TV. We allow you into our computer. We allow you into our books. We allow you into our conversations. That we just allow you, Lord, to have control of our life. Then when we go for something that we shouldn't be into, that you gently take us away and say that's not good for you. That we respect that as we mature. We love you, Lord. Now, Lord, we we thank you for allowing us to gather uh, not only on a weekly basis, but especially for this week, that as we come together and eat Thanksgiving meal, we pray for our meal and we, we thank you for those that have, have been in the kitchen slaving away, fixing the, the food and even preparing it as we speak. We pray that our talk is about you, that our fellowship is a reflection of who you are in our lives. And we thank you for the meal that's been prepared. In your name, amen.